Well, we're in a, a brief two-week series on friendship, and we're going to continue with that today, and, and uh, today we're going to shift a little bit into the practical aspects of being a really good friend. Um, the theme verse that kind of sits almost above the whole thing comes from, from Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We're going to unpack that verse using the life of Jesus. So primarily we'll be looking at the Gospels this morning and how Jesus exemplified friendship in his life. And then what practical conclusions can we draw from that? Uh, last week we heard the biblical basis for friendship and there was this kind of general theme that friends form us. They kind of make us who we are. Not only do they form us, but in the midst of friendship, they reveal our blind spots. You know, all those awkward things about our lives, the things that make us difficult. It's the friend in love that reveals our blind spots. And then lastly, when our, when our lives are falling apart, it's our friends that are there. And that was the three kind of pictures that we saw last week. And if that's true, then how to be a good friend is really important that we get into the nitty gritty of that and actually live it out, especially as Christians. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus, then you should be a better friend than maybe kind of the friends that might appear in the world. So we want to dig deep into the, the aspects of friendship, regardless of your, your age, um, where you are right now in your life, stage of life. Uh, regardless of how many friends you currently have, regardless of the gifts that you feel like you have to offer or not offer, each of us has a way that we can become a better friend. And the goal here today is that you would take something from today and use it to build upon the kind of friend that you are uh, to people in your life. If you don't do that, then why are we here? <laughs> So I really want us to be Christ-centered, empowering friends. I was thinking about the, the, these three ideas last week. If, if friends form us, they reveal our blind spots. And if our friends are there when life falls apart, then that means that there is power in friendship. I mean, it is such a powerful thing in our lives. And yet, it's so hard. Even if you have a best friend... It's hard to be best friends over the course of life. You, you drift and there's distance and busyness. And yet in the context of friendship, we're totally changed. So how do we do that? Um, friendship does something a self-help book can't do. You can learn about friendship maybe, but you can't experience friendship in a book. It does something that a master class can't teach you. And friendship is not a subscription that you pay for. You can't pay $5.99 a month and have a friend. Or $13.99. Or 19, the prices keep going up per month that we have to pay for all these subscriptions. But you can't pay for a friend. Well, you probably can. There probably is like a friendship <laughs> subscription out there. But can you really? You know, that's the question. So there is this need for friendship in our lives. And, and how do we find it? What are you looking for in a friend? What do you value most in your friendships? We're going to be 
um, really focused on friendship that is really close in your life, that sits a little bit outside of your family circle. So I know there's friendship within families, within a, a husband and wife, within a father and son or a sibling. Those are real friendships. But today I want to focus a little bit more on kind of how have you found those kindred spirits. You may not be related um, by blood, but you see each other as like a brother, like a sister, and you're so close that they're just such an important friend to you. That's the kind of relationship that we want to, you know, think through, look around, and look at different aspects of that. And then how do we actually do that? How do you have really close friends? You may look around this room and see, you know, 50 people that you would call friends. And th that's great. But who are the three or the five that really know you and kind of the people you would call at 3 a.m. in the morning? And it's those close-knit friendships that, again, I want to really press us into. So we're going to do this using the life of Jesus. He's going to be our backdrop. In Jesus' own life, we see the power of friendship come alive. Uh, Jesus didn't see friendship as like an add-on in his life or con something convenient or inconvenient. He saw it as essential. And friendship building was, in the end, it was one of the centerpieces of his life. And we'll see that in the text today. Toward the end of his ministry, in the Gospel of John, if you're going to read along in the Bible, you can turn to John chapter 15. We'll be picking it up in there. You can pull it up on your phone or grab your Bible and open it up. Um, this, the, the scripture will also be on the screen. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in his final kind of farewell message. And at one point, he really starts speaking directly to his closest disciples. And he, he in, in John chapter 15, he sets up this beautiful picture to describe how close he is to his disciples. And he says, my father is a gardener. And in my father's garden, there's a vine. And I am the vine. And you are the branches. Now remain in me, abide in me. If you want to bear fruit, you have to remain in me as I remain in you. And in fact, apart from me, you can't do anything. And he, he describes the relationship of, through this picture of a vine and branches being pruned by Father God as the picture of how close he is with his disciples. And then he, he builds upon that metaphor in a way by speaking about something that we understand, he's going to make a shift in their relationship from this kind of master-servant to friend-friend. And as we read these verses, we're going to take this idea of close-knit friendship and how it was modeled in Jesus' life and then try to kind of back out of that and apply, well, what does that mean for us today as friends? So... Uh, you can listen as I read along the Gospel of John, chapter 15, in beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, 
you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now Jesus is on a mission to save the world. Can I get an amen? I got a nice amen earlier. I was like, that's the perfect time for an amen. Jesus is on a mission to save the whole world and yet he has time for close-knit friendships. The God of the universe enters into our brokenness, our mess. He lives in a world with a lot of frustrations, a lot of pain, a lot of challenges, and he walks through that, but he doesn't do it in isolation. He seeks out meaningful friendships that end up being life-changing. He models friendship in a way that gives us a picture of the intersection of his mission and friendship. And, you know, honestly, if he didn't reveal himself so vulnerably with the disciples, especially his 12 closest disciples and the three and the one, I mean, if he wasn't brutally honest with them, you know, would we even have the church like we have it? Out of his friendship with those disciples, we um, experience the church as we know it. And this is, this is how p- powerful and meaningful friendship was in the life of Christ. And so even for us today in this moment, I, I want to say that there's always a friend in the person of Jesus. Uh, friendship is real with, with Jesus, but it's also mysterious. You can go for a walk with Jesus later this afternoon, but you might not see him. But you know he's there with the presence of his spirit. And he still is fiercely intentional. And he still is a friend of the deepest sort. A friend that sticks by you when no one else will. You know, if you don't have any friends and you feel sort of lost and lonely, you may hear this sermon on friendship and say, well, that's great, but I don't have anyone really close to me right now. Well, remember that we do have a friend in Jesus and he really does want a personal friendship with you. It's hard to call him friend sometimes because he's the God of the universe, the savior of the world. And it feels, it's hard to balance a humble, the kind of being a humble friend to Jesus when he's the king and the one that we bow down to. 
And yet he creates both of those pictures, that he is king and savior, but he is also friend to the lost and the lonely. And he provides this picture with his own disciples. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit. So how do we model Jesus' style of friendship? I want to give you a few points just to think of them as more practical. Like what should you bring into your friendships? The first is you should spark joy in your friendships. Jesus was like a source of joy to the disciples. And in that joy, he completed their joy. And in that completion of joy, it was there that he described their friendship. And, you know, we can talk about friendship, how hard it is, and it definitely is that. But it's not a drudgery. It's not just meaning, meaningless or menial hard work. It's hard, but it should be sparked with joy. And I think this is just a good reminder. You know, a couple months ago, I was just like really down and just needed some encouragement, which is not that uncommon of a thing for me. And of course, you know, Libby is in our marriage is a huge source of encouragement for me. And, and I'll talk to her a lot about stuff. But in this one particular time, not too long ago, met coffee with my friend Jimmy. And we just, man, I did not know how much encouragement I needed until after I had an hour with Jimmy. And I walked away just encouraged. And if I hadn't met with him at that time, it would have taken me a lot longer to kind of get my mind, my heart, the, my ways of thinking back in order. And he was a spark of joy in my life in that friendship. I don't even know how he did it. So I'm not saying this is easy, but it's important. Jesus did it in his everyday life. So we do know that. You've got to spark joy in your friendships through the context of everyday life. And we also know that Joy is not something that you can just make up. It has to be sourced uh, in God. And so you as a friend need to source out what God is doing in your life and let that be an overflow into your friendships. So if, if we want to have Christian-based friendship, we have to be joy-based friendship that is flowing from what God is doing in our lives. Um, joy is this like determination that you're going to let, no matter what's happening, you're going to let it take us one step closer to God. And so as you think of yourself as a friend, are you really a catalyst for joy? And are you sourcing that from God and then passing it along to your friends? The second thing, it's a little bit maybe even more obvious, is that uh, to be a really great friend, you need to sacrifice for your friendships. Deep friendship requires sacrifice. Um, Jesus said one of the most, you know, striking comments about love, maybe in the, the world has ever heard in this passage. He says, no greater love exists than this, to lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus died for the whole world. He died for each one of us. But he died in a special way for these guys. In a way that catalyzed their lives in ways that we can look back on 
but were so unexpected in the, in the moment, the way that the church came out of that time. And it's because that Jesus made the greatest sacrifice. And that was what turned their hearts and receiving kind of the fullness of the atonement of his death, but also the beauty. Not only did it kind of pay the penalty of their sins, but it was a demonstration of friendship that moved them in a way that they were never the same. And so how do we do that? I think that there's small ways and big ways. You know, there's people, you know, who are making huge sacrifice for their friends, their family in this room. You know, doing things that remain hidden, but are like, almost like laying down their life for them. And those are the beautiful sacrifices that we need to lean into. But then there's the other aspect of sacrifice that even a small gesture goes a long way. If you think of a friend and you're like, oh, I should really, you know, text that guy, but then you don't do it, 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 may, it may be a small thing, but if you do text them and all of a sudden they're like, wow, he took time out of his day just to like let me know he's thinking about me, praying for me. He thought of a scripture or a word. And that comes as that person receiving that, your friend receiving that, sees it as a sacrifice that you made. You took time out of your day. And yeah, it was a small thing, but it was important. And so what are those ways that we can live in a sacrifice? I found a coolest illustration this past week as I was thinking about this. There's a show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And it's kind of Jerry Seinfeld's new take on a new show, another show about nothing. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, was influential in creating the sitcom Seinfeld, in which it's kind of friends hanging out, talking about whatever in life. And he, he made another show, which is he actually picks his real life friends up for coffee. He picks out a special car for them. And he's like, let's go grab coffee and we'll talk. And this one episode, he picks up Kramer, who is in real life, Michael Richards. He picks up Michael Richards. He picks out this old beat up Volkswagen bus for him. And they go and grab coffee. And for me, it was cool because I got to see the behind the scenes, real friendship between Jerry Seinfeld and Michael Richards. And got to see something really cool. So Michael Richards... After Seinfeld, he, he tested the waters to become a stand-up comedian, and it did not go well. He, he, he did not end well, and he did not do well in that moment. And it, in the dialogue, he, he's really carrying this burden. And here's kind of the dialogue that um, Michael Richards and Jerry Seinfeld have. And Michael Richards, <clears throat> talking about that time in his life, he said, I busted up after that event seven years ago. It broke me down. It's just one of those nights. And he goes on to kind of talk about the regrets that he still carries and saying what he said in the moment. But he says to Jerry, thanks for sticking by me. So Jerry Seinfeld says, well, yeah, there's no issue with that. Of course I'm going to stick by you. And Michael Richards says, well, it meant a lot to me. And he said, but inside it still kicks me around. T talking about that event. And, and then Jerry Seinfeld says something. He says, well, okay, well, that's, that's up to you to say that you've been carrying this bag long enough. 
I'm, and I'm going to put it down. And you can tell that Michael Richards is in the show. He's actually like you can see his wheel spinning. He's like, yeah. And then Jerry Seinfeld says, well, I hope that you do consider using your instrument again, meaning comedy, because it's the most beautiful instrument I've ever seen. And so this is Jerry Seinfeld being a good friend to Michael Richards, you know, seven years after Seinfeld. And it reminds me that friendship is universal. Because we reflect the image of God, we can be friends. Christians don't own a friendship. I do hope that as believers we're better friends, but we don't own friendship. Like a father all over the world can love his son. Anyone in the world can find friendship because it's one of the ways that we reflect the image of God in that relationship like we heard about last week. But how much more should our friendships go beyond what we see maybe on the screen, even a good example like I just shared. We carry each other's burdens and in so doing we fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. And this kind of leads us to our last point that I think is an interesting one to see in Jesus' life and that I want to encourage you, find your friends and stick with them. You know, find those people that know you well and know you well and stick with them. Jesus seems to almost come across his friends. He's walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee and these guys fishing. Hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Or he's in, this, in the town and there's a tax collector. In, in this beautiful picture of God's sovereignty, the proximity of Jesus' life, he finds his friends. And then he sticks with them over those three years. He, he takes them with him on field trips. This is probably why Jesus came before the car, pre-car, because he was like, come on, guys, we're going to walk 12 miles, and you're just going to ask me questions along the way, and we'll see what happens. You know, but we get in our car, we drive around, and we go through life in a different way than, than happened then. Uh, I want to read this quote from uh, Sebastian Younger from his book, Tribes. He unpacks kind of our hard wiring for friendship and how we are wired for community. He's not a believer that I know of and he's, he's not describing Christian community, but he is describing isolation in our culture in, in a really profound way. Listen to this, it'll be on the screen. Uh, first agriculture and then industry changed two fundamental things about the human experience. The accumulation of personal property allowed people to make more and more individualistic choices about their lives. And those choices unavoidably diminished group efforts toward a common good. And as a society, as society modernized, people found themselves able to live independently from any communal group. A person living in a modern city or suburb can, for the first time in history, go through an entire day or an entire life mostly encountering complete strangers. 
And they can be surrounded by others and yet feel deeply and dangerously alone. You know, that, I think that resonates with us. Uh, friendship is not this kind of close-knit friendship. It doesn't happen overnight, and it's not necessarily easy. And one of the things I think that we might get wrong is that we, you know, we look at the kind of the, this size of a room, and we look around, and we can say, oh, yeah, you know, I have, I probably have 50 friends in here, or 72 friends. Like, Jesus had, like, 72 disciples that he sent out two by two. Jesus had the 72, but he also had the 12 and the three. And I think that if we're not careful, we can, if you know 72 people in this room equally well, or you keep them at equal distance, when things get hard, you're just going to fade. And we're not even going to know you left. I mean, we'll, eventually we'll, we'll go through our list and be like, hey, have you seen her? Have you seen him? I haven't seen him in like a month, maybe two months. Let's check on him, make sure everything's okay. But if you have, you know, your bestie around here, you're not going to go a month without missing church or missing community, without being at least called out a little bit in that. Or at least, hey, do you have a good reason? Like you work on Sundays, that's okay. You know, so I want to challenge you as you grow up in your life, if you are growing up in your life, really take the time and the work to um, find those three to 12 friends and then spend quality time with them. I, was, uh, I got invited to play golf this past week and they were giving me a hard time. They were like, you're going to be able to work this into your sermon? So I was like, I'll work it into my sermon. <laughs> And uh, I was like, you know, the fourth wheel in the group, these three buddies, they play, you know, they, they go way back to like, I don't even, grade school probably. And uh, it was fun for me to watch their friendship as I'm thinking about friendship. But one cool thing I perceived through the day was, you know, these guys, they're, they're kind of, you know, men's men. You know, they, they get out there, they play golf, they have fun. But I realized that they also do the Bible app every day and they pick different devotionals and they give a hard time if hey, that devotion's a little kind of, you know, not manly enough for us, but they do a daily devotional to, together through the Bible app and they, they go back and forth on the Bible app. So I wouldn't have thought that these guys would be on the Bible app talking to each other, but I thought that was a great example of how we make practical friendship deeper and, and I did work it into my sermon illustration, so... <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> but, you know, this, this hunger for intimacy and closeness and friendship, um, this is why we have a small group ministry. Small group ministry is a fabrication to get community to happen where it's not, if, if you didn't know that. Uh, the reason we have all this stuff is because it's been kind of pulled out of our natural way of doing life. So we have to kind of force it back in. And it's hard. To, to get into community. It really is. Um, so in summary, as you go from today, I want to just kind of review these three points that you take with you. That as a true follower of Jesus, that you always bring joy into your friendships and you discipline yourself to do that. That you're ready and expect sacrifice and that you 
find your friends and you stick by their side. And that's going to change, you know, in, in, in the course of your life. You accumulate friends over life in a cool way. But one thing I like to do that I would recommend, and it can be a little awkward, but just to sit down with a friend and say, hey, you're one of my close friends, and I want to be a close friend with you. So I just want to let you know, like, you truly are one of my close friends. And maybe that's not how they think about you, but you know what? Taking the courage to sit down and express that could go a long way. And so where do you begin? Um, I have these kind of five little quick um, steps that you could take. Maybe, maybe you just pick one. Um, who do you know best? Who knows you best? Who knows your kind of your deep, dark secrets? And then build upon that friendship. Maybe expand it out. I was talking to someone in between the service and they said, we want to add another guy into our men's group. And so um, evaluate your own character. Are you available? Are you consistent? Do you follow up? Do you kind of do your part in the relationship and the friendship? Um, use hospitality as an inroads to friendship. Uh, there's a, one couple in our church who will remain nameless, and, and their, the theme of their home is we doze, but we never close. So they may fall asleep, but they're always open. You know, I love that. I know another person in church, also another guy that's going to remain nameless. He, he's been known to, to bake cookies and then go ask a neighbor for an egg. And then he'll come home, finish the cookies. Then he'll go back to the neighbor and say, look, look what we made together. And he'll share the cookie. <laughs> I think that's hospitable brilliance, honestly. And, you know, so hospitality is an inroads to friendship. And then spend more time listening than you do speaking. Now, if we all did that, we'd be sitting around and be really quiet. But, you know, think about, do you speak more or do you listen more? And, you know, maybe you are a natural listener and you can speak a little bit more. Like, actually, if you have a friend that you sit with and they always do all the talking and all of a sudden, now if that's you, okay, now next time, just go and listen. They're going to be like, oh, my goodness, I get to talk. Like, this is amazing. Wow, what's on my, like, you'll see. You may be more of the listener. You may be more of the talker in your friendship. And you, you want to just try to equalize that a little bit more. Um, and then make a plan to go deeper as, as you go. And um, as we close, uh, this is kind of our time to get plugged into uh, a group. We have in the lobby after the service, we'll have time for you to connect with the group in our connection fair. And in the lobby, there's kind of some people to give you some cards so you can look on our website and list, list all the groups that we have. We have six women's groups, six men's groups, um, 13 you know, men's and women's groups that meet on different days and nights of the week. And we have about 18 support groups. So there's a lot of people that are already in community. We're also doing this thing called Front Porch, which is going to meet on the first and third Tuesday evening for three months. So just six meetings in the hopes that we'll get a new life group or small group started. And uh, you can sign up for that on the website or um, using the card. And then lastly, we just want to kind of put this question back in front of you. And as we close out the service with some instrumental time, what is your next relational step? You receive this card coming in. 
Um, this is for us, but we'd love to hear from you. What's your next relational step? Maybe it's a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you'd like to join a small group. Maybe you'd like to take an intentional step of friendship. Um, please fill that out and hand it out on the way out. You can also fill it out online using the QR code, or if you're watching online, you can do it that way. And then we'll follow up with you.